Are you ready for farm freedom? Because if every day feels like a chore, then maybe there needs to be a pivot. Make sure that you know what that bigger picture is, and then just try everything to get there. You're designing your lifestyle, whether you're doing it intentionally or you're just kind of letting it happen. The whole point of this lifestyle is to feel good about the life that you're living. Welcome to yet another episode of Farm Freedom. We've got another homemade money interview for you today, but this one comes with kind of a fun twist. Today we're talking to Alice and Sue from compassmylife.com. The first homemade money that she was making off of her farm was from horse boarding. However, they very quickly came to find out that this was not the right method for them. And so they did a shift to barn rental, uh, storage rental. And so this was a really interesting episode to kind of pick her brain and talk to her about why it is that horse boarding was not the right choice for them. So she's got some really good stuff in there about that. And there's definitely something to be learned if you are interested in horse boarding. But then she also talks a bit about creatively using extra space in the barns as rental as they work on getting some other revenue streams up and running on their farm. And one of the things that I loved the most about this was that this rental idea, as well as her future revenue stream ideas, they all really kind of revolve around the existing infrastructure and kind of the existing character of the farm. And I found that to be really cool that they're not just looking at how can we make money right now? What's the easiest? What's the fastest? It's that there's a certain something that this farm had before they got there. And they're kind of continuing with that with some of their ideas. The other big thing that I love from talking to Allison is that she does a lot of intentional life design. And I think you can really see that with the fact that they went from horse boarding to storage. They've got other ideas in the works, but the approach that they take to this is one of the best things that she said in the whole thing. Give yourself the grace to admit when something's not working. So I love this. I learned a lot. I hope you guys enjoy this just as much as we did. Welcome. I'm super excited that you're here. I really am. I'm so glad Pete connected us. If you could introduce yourself, tell us, you know, who you are, where you're from, how long you've been homesteading, farming, maybe a fun fact about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Allison Sue. Um, I am from the Annapolis, Maryland area. We um, kind of, I've never lived directly in Annapolis, but I've lived in a lot of the like cities surrounding it. And so I always said Annapolis because it's easier. Um, as people know it. Yeah, so I um, am the founder of Compass My Life, and that is all about lifestyle by design. I started that, I think in 2018, after I was, I went through a really rough patch. My husband and I got married. Well, we both graduated from college. He commissioned into the Navy. We got married in the same week, like in a one week span. Um, It was, that was kind of done accidentally because we planned our (laughs) wedding around his graduation commission. And I never even looked at my schedule. So I was like taking finals the week of our wedding. Oh my Um, gosh. Totally an accident. (laughs) Uh, So then he deployed three weeks after we got married. Oh. And then two weeks later, or like a week later, I moved myself to our first duty station which was in Jacksonville, Florida. I had never lived there. It was, it was like July. So I went from like Maryland to Florida in July. It was the worst, like he, 
weather thing. They had giant flying roaches, which I didn't know was a thing until <laughs> um, I moved there. It was uh, it was a rough um, transition. And so a few months into our marriage, he's you know coming and going all the time. Nothing looks life did not look the way that I had thought it was going to. And I mean, don't get me wrong, but like my life was still good. Um, it just wasn't what I had expected. Being an officer's wife wasn't what I had expected. Being graduated, I didn't have a job. Like that didn't look the way that I thought it would. Being married didn't look the way I thought it would because here I am married, but I spend most of my time single. And so I uh, maybe nine months, six to nine months into our marriage, I think about six months, six months into our marriage, I found myself crying over a pot roast um and not like because of the pot roast but I was like standing in the kitchen trying to make dinner and I am just crying and at the time uh, I didn't really know why but I knew in that moment that I needed to make a change I was like something has to change because I can't keep living the way that I am and so I that was the moment where I was like something has to change I went to google and I started like googling things and that started my personal growth journey and I started becoming much more intentional about my life and what I was designing and, and what I wanted my future to look like and what a life that I feel good about or proud of looks like and being intentional about making that happen and taking the steps to get there. And from that was born Compass My Life, uh, which is where I share what I have learned, the path I've taken, the tools that I find helpful with other women so they can design you like that they feel good about too. I love that. I love that. I'm so glad we connected because I've been scrolling through your stuff and I love it. And it's fantastic. And I think honestly, even though, you know, some people might be like, oh, well, she's personal development. She's not a farm person. If they don't see that that fits so well with building a farm and homestead life, then they need to sit down and they need to do some more research first because this whole lifestyle of farming, homesteading, all these people that are listening the whole point of it is to live a more intentional life. And so I love that that is what your focus is because it fits across. It should Honestly, it should fit for anybody. Everybody should be living a more intentional life, whether it's being more intentional about what food you grow or where your food comes from, or whether it's being more intentional about your career and setting boundaries or being more intentional about accelerating your career, whatever. I love that you can do it. It doesn't matter if you live in the middle of nowhere or the middle of New York city. So yeah, I love that. We started homesteading. Well, we call it, we say a hobby farm. We have a hobby farm about 12 acres about six months ago. And that was after um, my husband got out of the military. We moved back to the area where I'm from, he's originally from Iowa, but he went to the Naval Academy. And so we met when uh, we were both in college. He was at the Academy. I was going to University of Maryland. We met, got married right after graduation, like two days after graduation. And so when he got out of the Navy, we decided just to move back to the area, kind of settle for a little bit, figure out what we wanted to do. We were here for about a, almost a year um, when we found the farm and we bought it. And so we've been doing that for about six months now. Um, a fun fact that I like to tell people about myself is that I have climbed the Great Wall of China. Ooh. 
That's definitely unusual. I've heard of people like walking it, but I've never heard of climbing it. Is it different? Well, he say climb it because uh, there are so many stairs. <laughs> like it's called climbing the Great Wall of China because it is all stairs to get to the top. It is a lot of stairs. Oh I don't remember how many it is, but it's like in the thousands. It's oh a lot. Yeah. It's like it's an entire year's worth of gym visits and stairmasters in like one day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How long we, does it take um, that to climb? A lot. How long did it take you? Does it take like the whole day or like a few hours or? You know what? It's been a, it's, I did it in college because I studied abroad in China for a bit. Um, so I want to say that it took us like 45 minutes, but I don't, okay. I don't actually remember like now that seems like an unrealistically short amount of time. Um, but I think it was about 45 minutes. So that sounds really short. I'm sitting here thinking like three hours, that's, at least two. Yeah, that's why I'm like, it, it definitely had to have been more than that. But um, in my memory, it was like 45 minutes. I should ask my husband to see what he, what he would You were just so time. excited to get to the top. It could have taken you three days and you wouldn't have noticed. Yeah. We just slept much. on the way. <laughs> Getting okay. to the top of it is like, it feels huge. You're very proud of yourself when you finally make it. Yeah. Honestly, that sounds like an accomplishment because that's like one of the only things that you could see from space. I know I've heard that fact. And so it's like, it makes it sound like it's like, right from like satellite images, you can see the great wall. And so it always just sounds like this huge, massive thing. And then to hear people like, oh yeah, we just climb it. We like walk along. It's tourist attraction. It's like, I don't know. I always had this like, you know, Mulan kind of image in my head of like the old, like ancient China. And it's this massive wall that's like a mile high. And like, I don't know, like combine that with Game of Thrones. And it's like a mile high wall or something. <laughs> I, I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but it is quite the thing to behold. Yes. I believe it. Sounds very cool. So going from world traveler then to, and study abroad to homesteading, farming, um, what is it that made you decide you wanted to farm homestead? Um, so I've, I've kind of been joking that it was an accident. Um, when my husband got out of the Navy, our original plan was to, um, well, the original plan was actually that we were going to move to China for the summer and he got out and we, um, moved to Maryland and we actually stayed with my parents for a couple of weeks because we were going to um, we were going to go to China and two weeks after we moved in with my parents um, the pandemic hit and everything shut down um, so at that point we were like okay well we're definitely not going to China for the summer <laughs> and um, with everything shut down we we're like well let's just get a place and sit here for a little bit and so we ended up renting an apartment for a year and as we got closer to that year ending we thought well what do we want to do next so then we decided that we were going to get a travel trailer and just kind of travel around the U.S. living out of um, the trailer for a bit and then just after Christmas actually I think it was the day after Christmas we um we had, we had also decided that we definitely were not going to buy a house because that was something we'd also talked about. We were like, buy a house or travel trailer. Uh, so we decided we were definitely not going to buy a house. 
And it was the day after Christmas. And I was, I don't know why I was scrolling Trulia, but I was, I was like, I don't know. I even sat there. I was like, I don't know why I'm scrolling Trulia because totally definitely decided against this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I got to the last listing in the town that we had said, if we were going to settle down here in Maryland, this is where we would live. And, um, I got to the last listing and it was so sketchy looking. It was this house and it had like giant red letters smacked across it that said like low taxes. And oh my gosh, I, I don't know. I just, I looked at this thing and I was like, what even is this? And I read the description and it said it was a horse farm. Uh, and there was a few other things in there. I don't remember the whole description, but I sent it to my dad because he had a friend who does investment properties. And I was like, this might be a really good option for him. So a few, I want to say a few weeks passed, a couple of weeks passed. And I saw my dad, we had gone out to eat. And I was like, Hey, did you ever look at that place that I sent you? And he said, yeah, set up a, an appointment to go look at it. So we set up an appointment and we went out and we looked at it. And it was one of those things where you don't necessarily plan for it. It just kind of happens. And we stepped foot on the property and we walked around and we ended up shaking hands with the owner um, before really? we left, which is not something that we have ever done before because we have a rule that we don't make same day decisions on large purchases. This would right. definitely qualify <laughs> as a large purchase. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It was just one of those times where we shook hands right then and there. And that's how that happened. So we kind of joke that we accidentally um, became farmers. Kind of stumbled into it. Oh my gosh. I love what really you did. said about like you walked on the property and you felt it because that was this place that I mean, I'm going to admit for anybody who hasn't seen like on Instagram or whatever, haven't seen our house. We haven't shared much of the inside of the house. It's a little rough. It's a log cabin. It's not my favorite. Um, but like we had finally, you know, bought this place, I guess, um, you know, had the, had the accepted offer and everything. And we had family that they were like, so you bought that place for the land, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, we did. Cause the, like, my niece, especially, and like my sister-in-law, they're like, yeah, we were looking at the listing you sent us. We were like, why'd you buy that? But so, yeah, I hear you on like, there's just something about the place that like, even though there might be some things that don't feel as good as you'd like, it's just, this is it. Just, just go with it. Gut instinct, go with it. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. That is definitely how it was here because the house, um, well, we thought the house would be fine. Like it just needed some fresh paint and we were going to redo the floors and everything was going to be great. And then we got in and I think it was our first or second week living here. And we were on our third trip to Home Depot that day when we're standing in the line or like in an aisle at Home Depot. And my husband turns to me and he goes, you know, we bought a fixer upper, right? And I just had a moment. I was like, oh my gosh, we totally did just buy a fixer upper. So yep. yeah, definitely yep. bought the land and uh, yeah, the house. I hear you. I hear you. I don't think they're honestly, especially lately, we've got friends that are looking right now. And like, if you're not willing to buy a fixer upper, you're going to have a hell of a time buying like any appreciable amount of land above like two acres or something. I mean, it's an insane market. I wish we could have gotten into homesteading like before I was born somehow, <laughs> get land for cheaper. Oh my gosh. So it kind of sounds like you guys 
sort of kind of were on the same wavelength in terms of you know once you got there you're like good let's do this let's farm um did either of you want a farm like before like back when you were in college when you first got together first met anything like that was it ever really like on the radar or was it just like a complete we saw this property we loved it let's just dive in well I don't think that either of us ever had the thought let's buy a farm uh but my husband is from Iowa and he grew up his grandfather and aunts and uncles they own lots of farmland in Iowa so it was kind of very mm-hmm. very natural thing for him and then for me growing up, um, my mother's best friend was um, Amish. Really? And so, okay. yeah. Now they, uh, she had converted, so they, she didn't live Amish, but a lot of the things that she did was, it was still, you know, part of her and her and her husband had a farm. And so we spent, um, in my memory, most of my childhood summers and even some, you know, winter visits were spent on her farm running around barefoot, um, in the garden, you know, in the stream, chasing cows and chickens and in the hayloft and things like that. And so I definitely had like those memories held a very special place in my heart. And so when we stepped here, when we stepped onto the property here, it's like it all came flooding back for me. Um, and I think that my husband felt very at home here as well. And then it also, what was really interesting about this property specifically is that he and I had had the discussion, like we wanted property. And he had told me that he really wanted that small town, like hometown feel to wherever we lived. Whereas I grew up much like more in the city, you know, DC is like a 20 minute drive, Baltimore is a 20 minute drive. So I was like, I need to be close to, like, I want to be like 20 minutes from the mall and, and the hospital and things like that. And so when we found this property, one of the things that's very unique is that you feel so, um, it feels very small town. Our main road is a mile long one lane gravel road. So it's very like to get to our property. Yeah. It is very tucked, but in 20 minutes you're at some, you're like in the heart of Annapolis. So it was kind of the best of both worlds. And it it really turned out to be everything we both said we wanted. But when we were thinking or talking about that, it was never like farm. It was just, we want some land. He wants to feel, you know, kind of isolated. I want to still be close to everything. So in that way, um, yeah, we kind of discussed it, but not specifically farm. It's very cool how that worked out then. You have the same kind of thing. We have someone called, we didn't realize it, but someone called it convenient country that you feel like you're oh. completely nowhere. Like we don't have gravel road where we are, but we're five minutes outside of our town and we're 15 minutes from like our city. It's not as big a city as Annapolis, but still it's like, we're only 15 minutes from the hospital. You know, I'm five minutes away from the grocery store, that kind of thing. And so it's, it's somebody like somebody came, we are in our buy nothing group. She came and she picked something up and she's like, wow, I feel like I'm like way out in the middle of nowhere, but I know I only had to drive like five minutes to get here. And she's like, is it great? Cause you can't like, you don't hear road noise. Really? You don't hear like, there's nothing. You'll hear a train. You'll hear like airplanes, but like, that's it. You know? And she's like, yeah, this is definitely convenient country because it feels super rural, but you don't have to drive 45 minutes to go grocery shopping. <laughs> we were like, yeah, that's amazing. So that, sounds like you guys, that are- is the perfect term right? 
I had yeah. never heard that before. And she said it, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what this is. I love it. It is. Right. I might have to use that from now on if you don't mind. <laughs> oh, no, no, go ahead and steal it. It's not my phrase anyway. Um, all right. So you bought a horse farm. Is that your main source of income on your farm? So we, not right now. When we first okay. bought the farm, we were boarding horses. Um, Did they come with the purchase? Were they like existing customers that came with it? They were. They okay. were, um, the previous owner was boarding these horses. And then some of them actually were hers because when she moved, her plan was to move them to a full board um, center. She's, she was older and it was just, horses are a lot of work. And so yeah. she was ready to um, not have quite so much of it on her, but she had beautiful horses. Uh, they, they had won championships and oh, uh, one wow. of the horses was in the, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but it's like the league of champions or something. I mean, Ooh. beautiful horses, mm-hmm. um, but she's a little older. So she was ready to have help with the um, boarding. But um, the place that she was going to take them wasn't quite ready to have the horses there. And so she ended up, uh, we had a discussion and she decided to leave them here for a little bit. And that worked out well for us. Um, And so there were all the horses that were here were, she had either previously been boarding them or they were her horses. Okay. That's interesting then to buy a place. We had actually looked at a, um, not to live at it was just a like a facility but we had looked at that to a horse facility as a business investment but it just needed too much work but it did come with clients so that's why I was like wondering like does that sweeten the deal on the purchase or anything so okay so if you did that for a while and then you got out of it mm-hmm. let's take this in two pieces and let's part one let's hear a little bit more about horse boarding and kind of doing that and why you guys have gotten out of it and then we'll shift over to kind of what you guys are doing now like shifting that income stream yeah so boarding horses is very interesting especially if you don't have a ton of um horse knowledge or if you're not an expert in some (laughs) of those things which we were not I did ride a little bit as a child but other than mucking a few stalls I you know you don't pay as much attention to um, a lot of the ins and outs of caring for horses daily so um we very quickly learned. Well, okay, so let me say this. When, when it comes to boarding horses, there are different levels of boarding horses. So you can have full care, which means you or whoever you hire to do these things completely are taking care of the horses. You are the one mucking right. the stalls every day. You're putting them in and out to pasture. You're feeding them. You're taking care of any like medications they might need, all of that. There is also um, a level of boarding where they just simply live on your property and then the owner or someone else comes and takes care of them every day. So the um, two-sided coin to that is on one hand, you know, they they might be coming to your property um, most of the time twice a day. Mm -hmm. So you have people coming onto your property multiple times a day. Right. Which right. if you purchased <laughs> property to kind of uh, have a little bit more like 
solitude, privacy, yeah. privacy <laughs> like that, having multiple people come and go from your property yes. regularly um, is not ideal. Right. On the flip side of that, if you are doing full board, the two aspects of that is one, um, it is actually very expensive to take care of a horse. And so full board means you are paying for feed and hay and sawdust and all of that stuff. Um, so only boarding a couple of horses, you're not able to, like, it's much more cost effective to board enough horses that you're buying this stuff in bulk because right. it becomes right. much less expensive. Right. The other aspect of that is caring for a horse is nearly a full-time job. It is a lot of hours yes. <laughs> every day, a lot of physical work. And so what we found is that only boarding a couple of horses, um, not that it's just about the money, but it, there just wasn't enough profit there for us to um, keep doing it because it's so much work and it's so expensive to do. But there wasn't, there was, at the end of the day, there was almost no profit margin at all for us. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody kind of says, I think that the horses are kind of typically a luxury item on a farm, but they're like giant, expensive, glorified companion animals. <laughs> and I know that we've done personally a lot of looking into like, what are ways that we can use horses on the farm whether it's, and I know some people that they use them, like they're timbering their land. And so they use the horses to drag the timber up, you know, drag the logs up. And so they're working mm -hmm. horses. And so they have that companion, but they have that work, but you obviously can't do that with somebody else's horses. So then they're just these giant hungry money pits, basically. So yeah, that yeah. definitely puts you in a tight spot for that. So what would you yeah. say would be kind of the, like the sweet spot maybe this is really like a particular number for you guys based on like your farm size and your barn size and all that stuff. But what would you guess would be um, a better number for you guys to have to board them before you, like you're saying you had what, two, three horses that you were boarding and it wasn't really worth the time and the effort for how little profit you were making. What would you kind of guess would be the number where that would be like, okay, this is, you know what I mean? Like if you're taking care of one horse, it's so much work. If you take care of two it's not exactly twice the work because like if you bring a bale of hay and you split it between the two of them, you still only carried one bale of hay kind of thing. You know what I mean? So you can kind of like shave the time cost off the more horses you have. So what would kind of that balance be between the right number the time effort and then actually getting a profit margin where you'd be like, okay, this is worth doing. Like how many clients would you guys say you needed? Yeah. So we, um, we have 12 stalls. But our, our land cannot hold 12 horses, mm. not comfortably, not like, not the way that the horses would need it. So there's a couple of, there's no like one straight answer there. Some of it would depend right. on the type of horse. So some right. horses can be out to pasture much more than other horses. Like Arabians cannot be out to pasture because if they eat too much grass, they will go lame. Right. So then you're looking at a lot more like barn time versus horses um so that's a lot more care a lot more versus, yep yes horses that can stay out to pasture almost all the time it is a lot less care but a lot more um 
uh, I don't say damage to your pastures, but a lot more wear and tear on your right. pastures. Right. And so you're kind of looking at, you know, what is for us, I think um, if we opened up all of our pastures to horses only, we probably could handle, the land could handle like six horses. Okay. Remind me how many acres you said? Um, 12 acres? We have just a little over 12, but only okay. six is um, clear. We have about half of it right. is okay. forest. So we could probably and that's, do... That's kind of why you're saying six horses then, because it's about an acre per horse space-wise? It's about an acre per horse, okay. but even that is... Um, some people have said, some people tell us like, that's about good. And some people have said that's still pushing it a little bit because you need to be able to rotate and um, just different things like that. But cost effective six probably would have made a lot more sense. And we, we, I don't think that we ever would have done full board. Um, we would have done partial board. Right. Yeah. I know. I think the six, the six are like the one horse per acre thing. I know that's going to differ too, depending on where you live, because people in Texas are going to be able to pasture a lot differently than up where we are in New York. Um, mm -hmm. And I know I, I like that you mentioned, you know, certain types of horses can be on pasture differently and it probably depends on um, what the use of the horses is sporting. Cause that place that we personally had looked at um, that it was actually a riding track and it was for cart horses. And so those horses, since they're racing horses can't be out on pasture much because it sours their stomach when they're running. So mm -hmm. I know we had looked at that. And so like, that was that same kind of situation of like, I can't, you know, there was plenty of space to put them out on pasture, but they can't be on pasture grazing all day long or else they can't do this racing job that they do. And so it's that idea of like, great. Now they're in the stall. I have so much more work to do to get the food to them, to make sure they're eating the right diet. And yeah, there's a lot of those nuances of like low maintenance horses versus high maintenance horses. Total side note, how would you, I guess, how would you advise people on, if you can say this, if you can, if you can answer the question, how would you advise people on getting the right kind of clients then? Is it like, would you tell people be stubborn enough to only accept horses that are good on grays and like pick and choose your clients to best suit your time, your effort kind of expenditure? Would you say, take whatever you can get and then kick people out later or? Does that make sense? It does. I would say to be very picky because um, like um, we discussed this a little bit earlier, like horses do tend to be a luxury animal. And so what you find is that you have people who are very passionate. They're basically trainers. They're very passionate. They love horses. They're highly knowledgeable. And then you have people who want them as pets. And the people who want them as pets are more likely to not show up when the horse needs to be taken care of. And they'll just expect you to take care of their horse. Um, if the animal might be sick and you might be calling and saying, so the, this was a story that the previous, I haven't dealt with this personally, but the previous owner told us that she was boarding a horse and um, the horse got sick and she called the people and they never came out and she ended up having to make the call to like have the horse put down because it was so sick. And then they came back and they were like, where did the horse go? And she's like, I called you. 
I've been calling you for three days and you oh haven't answered. And so gosh. you do see this kind of thing. And we've even kind of seen that when we were interviewing people to come out is that some people do it much more as um, like a pet thing or um, some people do it as like children's camps, which sounds marvelous. But the amount of animals that she wanted to put on her property just wasn't sustainable. And so people don't mm-hmm. care for your pastures the way that you do. Right. Because there's a lot your, of work that goes into business. pasture care. Yep. It is. Yeah. So um, we were very picky about the people that came out. And we asked them lots of questions. If they were not very knowledgeable um, about pasture care and um, even who in the county is who, as in like, um, so one of the things that you can do here is you can take soil samples and you can shake them up, you put them in a bag, you shake it up, you send it off. Um, there's a department and I cannot think of what it's called right now. So there's a department that will test your soil and then they will send you back a report for pasture management. And they're like, here's everything you need to do in spring, summer, fall, and winter to take care of your pastures. Probably so anyone who didn't know. office, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Okay. Um, anyone who didn't know anything about that we didn't even consider. Really? Okay. Would you think it would turn, would have turned out differently for you um, if you had clients that were very gung-ho of, I guess, let me back up and ask this question. Did you guys offer to anybody new that you were trying to bring in, did you offer either the option of we do full board or we're only going to do like you, you're renting a stall there on, they're on the hook for all the care. Did you guys do a mix of that kind of client base? Were you only one or the other? Because what I'm thinking is like, I know that around us, we have a lot of horse boarding facilities that are, they're kind of mixed. There are some where it's like, we do nothing. You're basically just leasing space from us. You bring your horse, you're, you're basically renting out a stall, but you have to bring your own hay. You have to bring all your own food, your own medications. Like, obviously you can use our water, but bring your own water bucket. It's literally as minimal, um, I guess on like expenses on the hook for the farm itself. And then, you know, they're charging really the lease fee and then a little extra to be able to do what you're talking about with like pasture management, fence up, keep all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And then there are others where it's like, you know, we only do full room and board that you can come and go and ride your horse as much as you want, but they actually don't want you doing the care because they want to make sure that things are locked, things are clean, things are you know, nobody like leaves their crap all in front of the stall and makes a mess for everybody. And so I guess kind of on that extreme of like totally hands-on versus totally hands-off, how did you guys fall along that? Would this have turned out any differently if you went to one end or the other? Yeah, so we did explore all of the different options um, from full board down to just leasing a stall and a pasture. And what we found is that for us, there was never um, just like completely personal preference. There was never a spot where we found that it was worth it because um, on one hand, full board is, is so expensive. Now, having said that, if we had been horse people and we had a lot of knowledge about horses and we have horses of ourselves, I think that this would be much more worth it. But just right. coming into it and we were buying it for the land and we didn't really have much horse knowledge beforehand. 
it wasn't, I should say it's not worth it yet for us to do that because we don't have our own offices. So um, the full board never made sense. And then when we got all the way down to just simply leasing a stall and um, a pasture, uh, we found that it was rather unenjoyable for us to have people coming and going from our property all day long. And so Fair enough. In, in that case, we weren't, um, the, the uh, going rates for a stall around here weren't enough to offset the like discomfort of having people on our property all day long. I hear you. I hear you. We've had people asking like, oh, do you guys do farm tours? And we're like, well, one, there's not really much here to see. And two, no, because I don't need you to see like every corner of my farm and where everything is. And like, I just, I'm not here to be an entertainment venue. I'm here to be my house. (laughs) So yeah, that's definitely been a huge thing for us of like, we got to get like our farm stand, like way down by the road and keep people like a car length in the driveway, pick up your order and get out of your place. Like, thank you for coming. There's a few that will entertain, you know, and, and like, sh- you know, people that we know, like, sure, you can come see the chickens or whatever. But otherwise, it's like, no, no, I bought this place, like you said, to have my space. I don't need traffic, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we just don't like people enough. Is that our problem? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we don't mind people coming. People will call ahead of time family members, friends, right. especially if we right, know, old right. college but, friends. But that's different. But it's different than yeah. having someone who isn't truly family or friend. Right. You know, they might they be eventually, someone, but for the first they might be few eventually. Yeah. But um coming and going all day long is, you know, sometimes they're at seven o'clock in the morning and sometimes they were there at eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. Um so I, yeah. yeah. And that's hard too, because then if people have to be able to fit their horse care around their schedule, but also your schedule. So kind of sounds like that's a major question to ask when you're interviewing people before you let them board, you know, before you sign a contract, it's like, well, what time are you going to come and do your boarding or do your, you know, your care for your horse? If it's that kind of setup, because, you know, I don't know, personally, like I wouldn't want people here after dark, which obviously gets really crappy in the winter when you know, the sun's going down at like what, five o'clock, the sun's down in the middle of winter. And so then it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't want people here after like, it's just, I don't know. Like, how do I know that it's actually you if I don't have good enough lighting and I can't see from the house and yeah, that's, there's definitely like just that feeling of like invasion of privacy, especially after dark, you know, for sure. For sure. I think that's a really good way to put it. The other thing that, um, the other thing that came up a lot which uh, I wasn't expecting it to, but it does make total sense, is the use of bathroom. Ooh, yes. So if you don't have a bathroom in the barn, which, um, or, or, you know, anything, just a restroom of any kind in the barn, then it's like, do they have, do you give them the right to access your house? So right. um, are you, know, <laughs> yes, even yeah. more so. So for us, it was definitely like, no, uh, the solution most people come up with then is an outhouse. Um, right, which is which, also an, its own issue. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that was another thing that kept coming up, which was like, huh, I didn't really consider this. It does make sense. If you're here for three to four hours a time, twice a right. day to take care of 
multiple, you know, depending on how many horses you have. If for two horses, you know, you're probably looking at two hours a day that they were on the property. Um, but that's still enough time that somebody might need to go back right. at some point. Um, right. So, yeah, so that wasn't something interesting that kept coming up as well. Yeah, I would believe it. I think that's a huge thing that a lot of people wouldn't even think of too, that it's like, and now that you, now that you mention it, that makes sense. Why the place that we had looked at for those resources that they actually did have, it was a, a super tiny and super gross and super sketchy little bathroom, but they did have a bathroom. They actually had laundry on there too. Um, which was like an added bonus, I guess, because obviously there's all the blankets and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so they actually had laundry hooked over with the bathroom so that it was, you know, a lot more, now, granted, these people, like the one guy that was boarding his horses there, I think he had something like 12 horses there. So he basically, like, he woke up in the morning, he drove to the stable, he was there all day, he went home at dinner. So, like, he definitely, <laughs> he definitely needed facilities of certain types mm -hmm. to, you know, make it through the day there. But, yeah, that's a good point. I think, I think that's a, a not just for horse boarding, but that's a great thing for people to think of for any, um, I'll call it foot traffic based, you know, money idea for your farm is our people there, you know, if you're going to sell you pick pumpkins, come and go, they're in and out in like a half hour, maybe that's fine. But yeah, mm -hmm. anything that's an hour plus consider bathrooms or hand washing stations or whatever might fit what you're doing. It's a great point. Very good point. So I'm going to ask one more question about the horse boarding and then we can shift over to what you guys are shifting towards as your, as your homemade money idea. Um, last question of, is it maybe at all in your thoughts that at some point you guys might shift back towards this, I'm going to say towards the direction of horse boarding, leasing that direction, but not having people bring their horses in, but you guys kind of building your herd of horses um, and leasing the horses in that sense. Cause I, um, I did riding it back in college as well. Um, and I remember at that facility that they had their own horses and they did riding lessons off of them. And so that's what I did, but you could also, like, if I called them today, I could just lease one of those horses, right? Just like you lease a car, like this is your horse. I don't remember exactly what the deal was in terms of like, it's their horse, they'll take care of it or whether I could get a reduced lease price if I went and did the care for it. Or I don't know the nuances of that, um, but you could lease the horse itself and then it was effectively your horse, but at their, you know, it's the same kind of thing of if I brought my own horse, but I at least didn't have that, you know, potentially a few thousand dollars of buy my own horse and then go lease it somewhere and be on the hook for the food and everything. Cause they, it was, it was a much more, it honestly, it was just like leasing a car. Like you get it. And some of it's covered by, you know, the, the company will say car dealership, the horse dealership, whatever you want to call it. Um, so there was kind of like that in between. So has that ever been, you know, you guys have kind of, you've kind of said that you guys aren't necessarily like super horse people don't have as much knowledge coming into it kind of, but is that something that down the road that you guys have considered or like, would that be, actually, would that be something you'd want to do if you could get the numbers and everything right? I have never considered, um, having horses to lease. Like the idea never even crossed my mind. Uh, oh, very interesting idea. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't say that I'm entirely opposed to having horses at some point. Um, 
I feel like anytime you bring an animal onto your property that you have a huge responsibility to them and to their life to make sure you know how to care for them properly. Mm -hmm. And so before we did that, I would want to make sure that I had had, or that we had had the training required to be able to care for them properly. Um, Getting horses in the future is something that I have thought about. I have also considered mini ponies. Um, have you ever seen a mini pony? Yes, we had, we just were at something with our town at one of the parks where they had little mini ponies and mini rides. It was the cutest thing. They had like toddlers on them. (laughs) They are, um, they are adorable. So I have considered mini ponies and I probably would be more inclined to get a mini horse or mini pony before I got a, um, full size horse. Full size thing. Uh, Yeah, but I have considered both um and not necessarily to lease but one of our plans for the property in the future is to do retreats here and so at that point yeah at that point I think having horses to ride would be fun um and for the mini ponies we the other thing we've considered we've considered a lot of things as far as income goes and one of the things that we've thought about is not necessarily renting the land, but having uh, like a fee for photographers to come on to the land and do photo shoots here. We talked about that too. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In which case, mini ponies could be uh, a really fun thing to have to go with. Yes. Especially for, yeah, especially for like kids, um, kids photo shoots birthday parties things like that yeah we had talked about that too of that idea of um you know our land at at least is in desperate need of some uh, beautification before we can do that because there's a lot of unkempt overgrown areas with brush and like you know mile high grass and all that but yeah we've definitely talked about that same idea of like oh we should get like what are they the highland cows like they're really really fuzzy and so we're like oh that would be so great to have like a cute fuzzy cow and like we got to make sure we hatch baby ducklings and baby chicks in time for spring right before easter so that families can come do their easter shoots with actual chicks and ducks instead of photoshopping them in and like totally i'm gonna call it totally extra ideas because it's just so much work to just be like i need to have these yellow chicks hatched exactly this timing just for this photo shoot and it's a little it's a little much it's a little extra but same kind of idea of like can you can you do any of that that's a really that's a really interesting idea I hope you do that and then you can come back and you can tell us all about how that works we'll do another episode that would be very cool um yeah so I I like the idea of the retreats it kind of sounds like maybe you're starting to, to shift into the other half of kind of our chat of what are you guys if you're getting away from the horse boarding what are you guys getting towards now for a revenue stream for the farm? So the first thing that we're doing right now is um, storage rental. Ooh, okay. So in the barn, um, the upstairs like loft area is split into two. So there's a hayloft, but then there's also an additional loft, which we have plans to build out and make almost more like 
almost like an apartment loft, but use it as, um, it, it could be used as an apartment. It could be used as a conference center if we had um, retreats come in and they wanted to sit up there and chat or drink coffee, eat cool. their meals there, that kind of thing. But right now, it is a giant open space. And so we have um, people who rent it. And then there's also additional storage units in the barn. So we have people who rent storage space from us. Um, and that is our biggest revenue right now. And we really like that because people, well, one, people will pay a good amount for storage. Uh, but also, while people are coming onto your property, it's not every day. Right. Most people don't. Right, they're coming their... way less frequently. Right. Yeah. It's, um, one of our renters, he never comes. Huh. And then the other one, she comes maybe once or twice a month. That's it. Okay. Now, are you renting like the horse stalls themselves as like and totally enclosed? I'm thinking of like some apartments and stuff will have like basement storage where it's basically like a bunch of dog kennels is what it looks like. Those like chain link kind of things. So I'm kind of picturing a horse barn with, you know, the metal. If, if it like the stall goes all the way up and the door goes all the way up and everything, is it the stalls themselves that you're talking about renting? Or do you have extra space outside of those 12 horse stalls that you're renting too? In terms of we like have extra closed space. off space. Okay. Yeah, upstairs, like I said, there's that huge loft. That's one right, space. And right. then um, there are additional storage units that are closed off. They each have their gotcha. own door. Gotcha. Our um, horse stalls actually are not fully enclosed um, like some are. Oh, yeah. So our, it wouldn't work. Right. Yeah, no. Our, our stalls are like the, I think they call them like tongue and groove. Um, so you can mm, slide, okay. you can make them bigger. So that could be something that's interesting, but you just slide wood pieces in and out and it kind of builds that up. But we did talk to someone who wants to possibly store jet skis in the um, stalls. All right. That's different. <laughs> yeah. So that's a potential use, at least for now, until for now. You know, your personal use of the farm might expand with who knows what mini ponies and everything down the road. Eventually you'll kick out the jet skis. But um, so how did you guys come up with that idea then of renting out? Like what, what is it that made you shift to say, let's, let's do storage rentals. Where'd the idea come so, from? How'd you decide that was right? All that kind of stuff. The storage rentals actually was something that the previous owner was also doing. Oh, well, there you go. So some of the um, some of the income was already there when we purchased. Like when we purchased the farm, she already had a lot of passive income with the farm that we just simply took over. Oh, nice. um, and and knowing like once we'd been here for a few months, we kind of realized that the horse boarding wasn't really within our comfort zone. Uh, the storage was within our comfort zone. And so we have just continued to expand. We've worked to expand that part. How do you go about doing that? What is like your best, um, I don't know what you want to call it. What's your, what's your best avenue, your best marketing tactic? How do you get people as new clients for storage space? How are you marketing so, that? 
the number one thing are local moms groups. On we never think mom groups. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the local Facebook mom groups. Um, and a lot of them will have, um, like the ones in this area will have days to post things like that. And so it's like once, once a week, you can post ads, you can post things of that nature. Uh, and so that um, gets a lot of interaction. The other thing are the local um, farm supply stores will have like boards where you can pack mm. ads and things right. like that. So we have one here and it's where everybody goes. Um, so we will put up ads on their boards that has been effective, but not as effective or engaging as the Facebook groups. Very interesting. I would never think to advertise in mom groups, but yeah, that's a really interesting idea to join mom groups for advertising for farms. Oh my I would never, yeah, there are other local like town groups. The mom groups are pretty interactive. So I guess let me ask your question. It's going to be really particular to how much space you have, what the going rental fee is and everything. Um, do you think that, so I'm going to call it space rental storage space, um, do you think that storing things in your barn for people, is that something that you guys think you could scale up into being, I'm going to say at least a part-time income, because obviously it depends on how much space you're willing to rent out, what you charge price-wise and everything. Um, but do you think that that would be something that the average kind of farm could potentially consider as a, I'm going to say definitely appreciable income? This sounds like something that you could potentially make a good three, four figures doing at least in a month, if you do it right, if you price it right. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, I think so. Um, especially, I don't know if it's every area, but I would say the area that we're in, that's especially true. I have other friends who also just rent storage space off their land. Some of it is like storage units. And some of it is, I have one friend who rents space to park trailers and boats and RVs and things like that. Um, that's a very popular uh, rental. Yeah, there's a idea. lot of websites now for that too. Like I'm gonna call it like the Airbnbs of storage space. I've seen, I can't even think of any of the names, but there's definitely, yeah. Do you guys have yeah. it in, in any of your plans to kind of find one of those sites or anything to join? Just to have like that kind of, you know, existing marketing platform and customer potential, where are you guys going to keep it, you know, mom groups, bulletin boards, kind of word of mouth kind of thing? I don't think it's adding it to one of those sites. isn't really something we've considered because the storage, renting storage is not necessarily in our long-term revenue plan. Makes um, sense. Once we get some other things, because we have a few other ideas that we're working towards. And once we get those things off the ground a bit more, we probably would scale back on the storage rentals. But I do think that the storage rentals are very profitable. We have, we know other people who started doing them and it was so profitable for them. They basically turned all of their land into storage units and that's just like the main source of money now. Wow. I don't think I could do that because then there would still be people and they'd still be coming. Yeah, I don't think we could do that. Um, so you have, that's a very interesting 
money-making idea though for your farm because you know there are people that we've talked to where they grow this or they have this animal or, or you know all sorts of different things kind of what I'll call more of like the typical farm venture of like get out there every day carry water buckets sweat your butt off whatever it might be um have you ever had a time since you guys got this farm obviously you kind of realize like the horses are not quite right for us let's shift something but have you ever had a time in there where you've said maybe we should just have this be our land and not worry about making money off of it or have you guys always like from day one thought let's keep bringing in money from this land if we can has there ever been a lapse in that for you yes I think we've had days where we were like this is, this is not what we thought it would be. You know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work to make the land work for you. And so uh, there have been days where, you know, we're just tired. We're like, why are we doing this? This is, you know, if our, if we could, we would forget it all. We just let the land be the land. Um, but then we take a nap and we eat, eat a sandwich and then you have that moment where you're like, okay, that's not why we did this to begin with. Um, you're good. So, you were just hangry. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you just refocus. And, and I think that so those days are also good opportunities though, to ask yourself, like, is this working? Because if you're getting to the point where you're so burnt out that you want to give up, it's like, those are the moments where my husband and I will just step back and be like, what are we doing that's working? What are we doing that's not working? And where can we pivot? Because if every day feels like a chore like that, like beyond just farm chores, you know, we're feeding the animals, we're cutting the fields, that kind of thing, then maybe that's, maybe there needs to be a pivot there. And so we'll, we'll ask ourselves quite often, you know, is there a better way to go about this? I like that you guys have like, sounds like regular, I don't want to call them check-ins or checkpoints or anything, but it sounds like you guys are regularly constantly reassessing like this is working this is not I'm going to call it like a go no go gauge of like we either continue or we refigure something I like that that's another man you're just dropping them left and right that's another great point for people of don't get it sounds like don't get an idea and just plow forward right just run with it if you hit the wall though take a minute see if you can get around it if it's not, you know, if it's not possible, I like that. Yeah. I like that you guys check that. It's a really good point. So for Thank people you. who are, I think that's honestly, that's like the greatest tip of all for anybody who might be in the same shoes of like considering like, maybe we should just quit. It sounds like, well, don't just quit unless you can't find another way kind of around your issue. Right. But for people who are um I'll say at least entertaining the idea of you know this homemade money making money off their farm maybe they're starting from zero maybe they've had some ideas and nothing's really worked for them yet would you say that continuing to push for making the income off of your farm is something that's going to really be I'm going to call it the key to like finding good living in your life um how would you get people, how would you tell people to keep going and keep working for it? Like, if this is, if this is something where you're saying, you know, yes, like we, we need this, we want this freedom of 
we don't have to go work a job, you know, we have maybe multiple revenue streams, whether it's from the farm or an actual job out, you know, in the home, out of the home, whatever it may be. How does this fit into that puzzle? How would you say that, you know, to people listening, how would you encourage them to keep working for that kind of bigger picture? I would say, make sure that you know what that bigger picture is and then just try everything to get there. Not everything is in like, burn yourself out, but everything is in like, try all the different, try all the different paths, see what works, see what doesn't. Uh, don't be afraid to pivot. And I think that when it comes to this kind of lifestyle, especially like the whole point of this lifestyle is to feel good about the life that you're living. That's the whole point, right? It's not to burn yourself out. And I think that there's something to be said for grit and for pushing through, but there's also something to be said for letting go. Um, mm. And you'll find like, no matter who you are or what you go to do, nothing. I find that very rarely do things work out exactly the way you think they're going to. And so if you approach everything with an open mind, just knowing like, I'm going to try this, I'm going to see what works. I'm going to see what doesn't um, do it. Like go for that thing, give it some time, push through some of the hard days because there are going to be hard days. And sometimes you need to be able to push through those and, and have that hard day as a data point to make an informed decision. And so once like you've that. had like the good days and the bad days, you can kind of look at it and be like, okay, this is working, this isn't. And then pivot or let go of or adjust from whatever that thing is um, towards what's working the most, what's working the best. And sometimes it's doing something and being like, you're getting the clarity out and you're like, this doesn't look anything like I thought it was going to look like. And this doesn't give me like, I don't feel good about this. This is not creating the life that I thought I was creating. It does not feel good. Um, and then give yourself the grace to let it go. Love that. That is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I love that you said that. The idea of give yourself the grace to let it go. Because I think a lot of people, and especially like with Instagram and seeing other people, right? There's always that trap of comparing yourself to other people. And you always are like, oh, well, if they can make... I don't know, money idea XYZ work, then I should be able to make it work. And then, you know, you kick yourself when you can't make it work and you're still like, well, you know, what's wrong with me? Why isn't it working? I think it's really easy for a lot of people in homesteading farming where I'm going to call it definitely more towards that like manual labor kind of idea, right? That, you know, if everybody else can do this physical hard work and make XYZ happen, why can't I make it work too? What's wrong with me? Am I not good enough? Am I not smart enough? Am I not working hard enough? That I've seen that from a lot of people too, that it's like that, just a good reminder of don't compare yourself to somebody else's middle or somebody else's end point because you are not somebody else. So mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, I completely agree. I've looked at a lot of those things and I've kind of gotten to the point to where I allow myself to use Instagram and social media and things like that for inspiration versus for comparison. So I'm like, okay, if that person is done, then I probably can too. Or I'll see something that someone's doing. And I'm like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. And now I see it and I like that idea. And so I'm going to try it for myself. Um, but I don't normally, I try not to, like you said, I try not to compare myself to what they're doing because you are only seeing 
a small glimpse of what they're showing you. Like no one's really showing you right. all the details. And so when you can't make it work for yourself, right. there's probably something behind the scenes um, going on that is allowing it to work for them. And that's not to say like, give up on that thing right away, but don't be afraid to try it. And then if it is not what you thought it was going to be and you are hating it, don't be afraid to let it go either. Yes. I think a lot of people on Instagram, especially for farms, they'll make, you know, accounts for their farms or Facebook or TikTok or whatever social media. Um, and I know a lot of people use it, I guess I'll call it as like their marketing platform for their farm that they'll post of like, oh, here's our egg sale this weekend, or guess what? We have our pasture chickens ready to go, that kind of thing. And I'm going to call that marketing out to the customers. But I really like what you said too, about using Instagram, for example, as sort of a market research avenue. And that's more of like marketing in, because if I see a new idea, okay, they're doing it and it's working. There's a market for it there. Maybe there's a market for it here where I am. So I like that idea of using it as a two-way marketing, right? That I can market my farm out to customers, but I can search other farms, see what they're doing. And they're kind of helping me do market research of like, yes, this idea exists. It works figure out how to make it work for yourself kind of thing, try it, add it to the list for down the road, whatever it might be. But it's a good way to, to start kind of using social media more as a tool for your business, not just, oh, doesn't this look pretty? I think we covered all the questions. Do you have anything else that you want to add as far as like, you know, this is like, this is your chance, your big major takeaway, your soapbox or whatever it might be the soundbite that people are going to remember for the rest of their lives. No, I think really just don't be afraid to try things and don't be afraid to let things go. Which in itself is a great piece of advice. I love it. So if people want to follow you, can they follow you and your farm journey anywhere? My main Instagram is compass my life. Um, and that right. is really lifestyle design. And I do talk and post about the farm on there because I think everybody, you're, de you're designing your lifestyle, whether you're doing it intentionally or you're just kind of letting it happen. And so I talk a lot about intentionally designing that lifestyle. Um, and I do post about the farm there. I love that. So people can find you on Instagram. Um, is it okay if they reach out to you with questions for horse boarding or storage? options anything yeah, like that absolutely any questions right. you've got about farming you can reach out there awesome all right you guys so much good stuff packed into one episode um big takeaways for me you heard her say it time and time again it's okay to pivot check where you're at do you need to pivot i think that's a huge point that a lot of us might get stuck sometimes that we come up with you know, an idea to make money off of our farms or even just something we're doing on our farms. And we get an idea in our heads, we get a plan. And for some reason, I think a lot of us do sometimes just get literally stuck that it's just, it's got to happen this way. It's got to go the way you thought it was going to. And we forget to stop and take a look and think about whether or not, you know, something needs to change or whether or not it's just not working or it's not right for us for some reason, but maybe we just can't see it for some reason. And so the fact that she and her husband, like she said, are doing regular check-ins of, 
you know, where are we? Is this working? Is it going well? Is it what we wanted? Are we, are we building the life we wanted to live? I think that's just such a beautiful reminder. Like she said, that your life is, you know, what you make it. And the whole point of living this particular lifestyle on a farm is to enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying it, if you're feeling like you're getting burnt out, if you're overwhelmed, if you're just not happy, then stop and take a look at what you're doing because you don't have to keep doing something just because it makes money. You don't have to keep doing something just because, you know, it looks good for Instagram or because people think it's cool. You need to be doing what feels right and what aligns well with your hopes, your dreams, your visions, your long-term picture, etc. And one more thing I want to point out because... I think we all know that farm life, homestead life is most often anything but passive, that the rental that they're doing with their barn space is passive income. And I think that that's a really good point that while it's a lot harder to come by, I think for a lot of farm ideas, and especially a lot of the ones we're looking at through this show, if you can find a way to make income off of your farm that's a little bit less hands-on, a little more let it go and let it grow, the better off you're going to be because obviously that frees up time for you to be making money while you're working on another way to make money. So it kind of helps you double up your income there in a sense. So definitely something else to consider, not just for this homemade money idea, but all of the ones you're looking at. Is there a way to overlap them to, I don't want to call it shortcut, but um, you know, make it a dual purpose kind of an income where you can make money out of it more ways than one, you know, that's kind of, I think where most of the passive income is going to come for a farm life, but just a good reminder that you don't have to always bust your butt sun up to sundown to be making money on a farm, but great content from this episode. I loved it. You can find the companion blog post for this show specifically about how to rent a barn for storage. Some tips in there from her episode and from talking with her. You can find that on the website. Visit us at findinggoodliving.com slash podcast. And you can scroll down and find the little image tile that says rentals. And that'll take you to her article. While you're there, we would love it if you would subscribe to the email list so that we can help you on your journey to homesteading bigger and homesteading better, to making homemade money. Find us on Instagram, follow us there, drop us a note, tell us what you thought of the episode. We'd love to hear from you.